Turning to Psalm 74, please. Psalm 74. Keep your Bibles open when we read these verses. O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why does thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt. Lift up thy feet. In other words, quickly come to us unto the perpetual desolations even all that thou the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst of the congregations and they set up their ensigns for signs. A man was famous according to as he had lifted up the axes upon the thick trees. But now... The break down the carved work, they're off at once with axes and hammers. They, they have cast fire into thy sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down thy dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, Let us destroy them together. They have burnt up all the synagogues of God in the land. We see not our signs. There is no more any prophet. Neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Why withdrawest thou thy hand, even thy right hand, Pluck it out of thy bosom. And so reads the word of the Lord. Father, we just pray now as we turn to your word 
O God, that as has been prayed that it will be a hammer that will break the rock of our hard hearts, callous hearts, cold hearts, faint hearts this morning. Amen. I'm calling your attention again this morning to the present day state of the evangelical church as described so graphically, powerfully, and prophetically indeed in this Psalm 24. The title for our messages these Lord's Day mornings is Psalm 74 verses 20-24. This portion of Scripture here is one of the great portions of the Old Testament that shows us how far the modern church has descended in the West, especially in the past century or so. Anybody who studies the history of the church down through the years will have to say this morning that comparing to the early church in the early days, the apostolic days and on down, that the church is unrecognizable and unidentifiable. It was once a glorious, joyful, powerful, attractive, holy, magnet-like, that drew millions and millions under the shadow. Song of Solomon in 6 and verse 10 says, It was fair as the moon, clear as the sun, as terrible as army with banners. Not anymore. The majesty, the presence, and the fear and the awe is absent. So great was the fear and the presence and the glory of the early church in its early days that no man would join themselves to it. The power of the Spirit of God was moving in mighty ways from one extreme to the other. A man and his wife told a lie in the early church. They lied unto God. And they were both struck dead, one after the other. On the other hand, the Spirit moved when the men apostles prayed in the chapter before that. When they prayed, the place was shaken. Literally shook. So the Holy Spirit was moving from one extreme to the other. He was brooding over. And that has been the way many times down through the centuries. Brooding over the church, dispensing mercy and judgment. Now we can lie. Now we can steal. 
Now we can commit divorce and commit adultery. Now we can trail brothers and sisters through the courts of our land. Now we can criticize and slander and forsake the Lord's table and mock the baptism and ignore membership and blaspheme his name and nothing happens. He's the same God. He's the same Holy Spirit. Why? The answer, my friend, is the dove of the Holy Ghost is gone. We can do now what we like, but there's no retribution. Not here, but it's coming. We can have nights of prayer and weeks of prayer and nothing happens. Why? Because the blessed paraclete of the Holy Spirit has forsaken. We can have missionary meetings and gospel campaigns and conferences. And as I said last week, we can ask pastors and ministers how things are going and they'll say to us, my church, we're doing all right. They're saying that because they're judging it against the modern-day church, the Laodicean church, not the early church. And the burden of my heart these weeks is from this psalm that it's time for us to pull the reins and call a halt to the shame and the sham and the shenanigans and face the facts. As Asaph here in this psalm faced the facts, the shepherd was withdrawn. He had departed from the sanctuary and Zion. And don't think that this is just an Old Testament thing because when we come to the New Testament, the Lord Jesus twice at the beginning and at the end of his ministry cleansed the temple and told them that God had forsaken them and he whipped them out and he says, your house. It wasn't his house any longer. Your house. It was man's house. Now they can do what they like because God's not here. What awesome thoughts. But not only in this psalm had he withdrawn, as we read in that last verse, he has hidden his hand of power. He had withdrawn and departed from Zion, from the flock on the, of his pasture, but he also has pronounced judgment. Smoke. The smoke that signals the start of a fire of judgment was about to fall. Asa could smell it. He could see it. You know, none of us like alarms this morning. And I'm sure that this alarm that I am sounding in these Sunday mornings, people don't like it. And they'll switch it off. When you walk out through that door, you'll probably switch off what you hear and maybe before it. But you know, alarms are for our good. They're for our good. Let it be a fire alarm or a burger alarm or a car alarm or a smoke alarm. It's for our good. And the match is struck here and the fuse is lit 
and the smoke is rising and the fire is crackling. What does the psalmist do? Does he call for an evangelistic campaign? No. Does he call for a conference? No. Does he even call for a week of prayer? No. What do we do? What are, what are many doing in the evangelical church this morning in the light of all that's going on around us with all this woke and everything else that we're seeing and witnessing? What are most of the church doing? Battening down the hatches. We can batten down the hatches and we can juke into our denominational bunker and doctrinal bunker and pull the curtain down and say there's nothing we can do. We're in the last days. I'm tired listening to it. We, we, we may ride out the storm, do what we did when COVID came, bolt the door of the church and our mansions and our manses and stockpile and say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. Hamas is coming. The Hoochie boys are coming. The devil's coming. There's nothing we can do. It's a liar to hell. And if that's where you are this morning, God help you. But I'm not there. Now, I never intend to go there. I thank God this morning for the remnant here and there, and always has been, and there always will be a remnant who say there is hope. A remnant who say we believe that revival can come. A remnant who will say God has not cast us off forever. Thank God for those who literally believe the promises and the word of God and we saw it all week in here. Thank God for these men and women. These are the future of the church. What did Asaph do? Well, we saw last week what he did. He went into investigation mode. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? Why, Lord? This, my friend, is where it has to start, and that's what we done every week. That, this was a week of mighty prayer meetings. When there was an investigation, went into her heart. Of course, many didn't bother coming. But those who did come we got serious with God and then it burst out on Friday night. What a blessing to be in the meeting on Friday night. We went into investigation mode. We need to go into investigation mode. We need to see why we're having mission after mission and no souls. We need to examine our own lives and our own hearts and see what we are doing. Don't we blame on others? We need, to under, we need to investigate why is churches splitting after splitting, people leaving and leaving, backsliders every day. We need to get serious about it. What's wrong? It's not God's fault. He went into, he went into investigation mode. And then he went into lamentation, the ominous O's, the six O's in this chapter. You went into then this morning recognition. 
recognition. Verse 2, remember thy congregation. Now you'll get the word remember in verse 2, and I hope you have your Bibles open and you haven't closed. I, don't, I hope you haven't one of these other mechanical things with you. Bring the book. Bring the book. Back to the book. And I hope you have your Bible open. If you're interested at all, if, you're, if you see at all, my friend, my heart's burdened this morning. Three times he, he calls God to remember. It's not God calling us to remember. We're going to do that in a, very shortly now. But he's calling God to remember. Verse 2, verse 18, verse 22, and verse 23, forget not. Now the word remember is the same word as I've used, the word recognition. He, he's asking God to turn and to look upon the terrible situation. He's coming with mighty boldness, this, this psalmist, with tears. And as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, uh, regarding a portion of Isaiah, one time Isaiah, he's suing God. And the first thing that he's suing God here, and he's calling unto God, and he's calling God's attention here, is to his past promises and his past power. He brought them back and called them to remember. Look at what he called God to remember. In verse 2, Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed. He's calling God back to Egypt when they came out of Egypt. He's calling him back to the blood of the Passover lamb. He's going back in the word. He's digging deep here. He sees the cause here. And the only way that he can remedy this is to go back to the start. He brought them back to redemption and the purchase of the blood of the lamb. He went back to the covenant promise. He says, remember, I want you to look at verse 13. Here's where he's bringing God back to. Here's what he's reminding God of. And whenever we come into our prayer meetings, my friend, never be ashamed to remind God of what he has done in the past. Never be ashamed to remind him of Cambuslang and Shots and Kilsyth and Kells and Wales when he poured out his spirit in days gone by. Never be ashamed to call God back to the past. He's calling God back to the past here in verse 13. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. The Red Sea, you see it on the news every day now. The Red Sea's nothing to God and the Hoochie rebels are nothing to God. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons, the Egyptians, and drowned them in the chariots in the waters. But I tell you, this is some prayer. This is the time to pray and we need to get back into the church again. That's what he said in verse, in verse 13. 
Look at verse 14. Now breakest the head of the Vivian pieces and given them meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. He called the manna that came down from heaven and the wheat and the, and, and the fish that come in from the sea. He's reminding God of his mighty power. His hand is hidden at the moment, but he's reminding God that it wasn't always hidden. He's reminding God of his mighty power. And then in verse 15, Thou didst cleave the mountain, the fountain, and the floods. He fed a million and a half, or nearly two million, and for 40 years with water from the rock, hallelujah. And the rivers, the Jordan dried up. The river's there too. Boy, he's going back and he's reminding God of his mighty power, of his mighty promises. He's reminding God of what he done. Verse 16, the day is thine, the night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun, the pillar of cloud by day, and the pillar of fire by night that led them out. I tell you, this man knew how to pray because this man knew the word. And this man knew the problem and he knew the cause. And the only way that he's going to get God back and get his attention and get this thing sorted out, he's going to have to plead these promises and get back to the start at what's wrong, not covering up with singing a hymn, not covering up with a gospel mission, not covering it up with a conference, not covering it up with a sabbatical or something else. Going right back and claiming the victory and the power that God wrought in the past. I tell you, my friend, if we kept on what we're doing, we done last week, we will, won't be long until we get God's attention. It won't be very long until God comes back again and power into his assembly. He's still the same God. He is still the same power. He is still almighty. Some of us are just happy to be saved and on our way to heaven. No interest in God and prayer. No interest in this table that he died for us. Just get a wee ticket to heaven and live what we like. You examine yourself, are you saved at all? We have got to face these facts. We have got to arrest the situation that we're in. I'm not talking about any other church. I'm talking about our own assembly as much. He goes right back to, to, to the redemption from Egypt. You know, Moses did the very same. You, you see this pattern through the Word of God. Remember Moses said when they went on with the immorality and the idol and the blasphemy around the golden calf. God had forsaken. And here's what Moses said. He said the same as Asaph said. He said, O Lord, why hast thy wrath waxed hot? Why hast thou withdrawn thy mighty hand of power? Thou hast purchased us, thou hast redeemed us out of Egypt. We are thine inheritance. He's saying the very same thing. I could get you half a dozen men and prophets in the Old Testament who prayed the very same thing when they were in a crisis, but we don't seem to see that today. 
Moses said the Egyptians will laugh at us, they'll mock us that you abandoned us in the wilderness and you're not able to bring us out. The world's laughing at the church this morning. She's laughing at the splits and she's laughing at the shenanigans that's going on in the church. There's no power, no fire, no authority. Lord, you said you'd bring us over to the land of milk and honey. You made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob and you're not keeping your covenant. Moses cried. He called unto God. Are you going to let us die in the wilderness? And God said to Moses, No, I'll send an angel. I'll make you a great nation on your own. And I'll send an angel to go with you. Moses said, I don't want an angel. Unless you go with us, carry us not up hands. I need God. We need God. Do you remember the spouse in the Song of Solomon? She woke up and her beloved was gone. He had withdrawn the same word here. He had departed. What did she do? Go back into bed, bolt the door, put the lights out and go back to sleep? No. She pulled an old shawl over and she went out into the night. And she went into the dangerous places of the streets to the watchmen and the revelers that were coming home drunkards. And she cried through the streets, that spouse, that lover. She cried through the streets, Have you seen my beloved? He's gone. Tell me, is he gone from your life? Is he gone from your life or has he ever been in your life? Remember Jacob when the inheritance was at stake and the wee family was gathered round him and Esau was coming to wipe the hold of them out. What did he do? He went over to Peniel and he wept and he cried all night and he cried to God. He said, Esau's coming. What did Esther do when the whole nation was threatened to be destroyed by Haman? Let it be Haman or Hamas, it doesn't matter. She went in before the king. She says, if I perish, I perish. I can't endure to see my people perish. Oh, may God give us men and women. We are not just happy to go on in things the way they are. What did John Knox say in Scotland when Bloody Mary done everything, tried to take his head up and done everything with him? Bloody Mary said about John Knox, she says, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the marching armies in Scotland. John Knox says, give me Scotland or I'll die. My friend, if these men and countless others pleaded the covenant promises and succeeded in doing so, why do we not? How much more can we not claim the covenant promise of the new covenant this morning? Just to encourage some of you this morning, for there's not much discouragement in this message. What about the covenant that he has made with you, mother this morning, father this morning? He says, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. Do you believe that or not? Do you believe when he says, lo, I am with you always? Do you believe when he says, fear not, I have redeemed thee? 
Listen to the covenant of Hebrews chapter 8. Listen. God says, I have made a new covenant, not one with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I made a covenant, I have made a covenant of mercy, not of law, but of grace. And twice he says what I'm going to say now. Twice he says that in that chapter. Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Hallelujah. Mother and father this morning, those of us who are tossed by the tempest and blown about in the storms of life with sickness and trials and troubles, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. We have a new covenant. We have the promises of our Lord that will never, ever fail. Why do we not claim them? Not only did he plead God to recognize and remember on behalf of his promises, I put those two together for their link, his promises and his power. That was the first thing the psalmist did. Tell me, when did we last get down in your quiet time with the promise open before God and stayed there and kept coming back to it and back to it and back? This is your promise, Lord, to me. And claim it. But then he went from the power and the promise and the power to the place in verse 2. And as this we're closing with this morning, for we'll be back next week and maybe the week after and maybe the week after, I don't know. But as long as it takes to exhaust this psalm and to bring these truths, I will do it. God, give me help. He comes now to the place in verse 2. Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed. Now watch this. This Mount Zion, wherein thou, and here's the word to hit, hast, H-A-S-T, has dwelt. He's not there now. He's not there now. I tell you, if he's talking about Solomon's temple, the glory of God fell in that place. If he's talking about in the years of days of old when the power and the presence of God was in the house of God, he says it's now gone. It's where you won't swear. You see, his investigation and inquiry concluded with the answer. And here's the pack and punch of this message and probably the whole chapter. What's wrong? What happened? He's coming to the very crunch of a thing. The enemy. Verse 3. Hurry, come with speed, Lord. On to the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy has done wickedly in the sanctuary. Now you watch that, watch the chapter now. Enemy once, verse 4, enemy twice. Verse 10, enemy three times. Verse 18, enemy four times. Verse 23, Enemy five times. 
He has got the answer. He's got the answer. He's not blaming the pastors. He's not blaming the ministers. He's not blaming the people. He says the enemy. Where is the enemy? Where is the enemy? He's in the midst. He has done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst. That's the answer. The enemy. Now, for the next 10 minutes or less, listen carefully what I'm going to say. That the Lord has burned this into my heart. Nobody knows this more than my wife. You see, there's an S on the enemies. Enemies. Well, there were three enemies that surrounded Jerusalem. The Syrians, the Babylonians, and the Romans. And in verse 10, called the adversary. The adversary. The adversary is a lion and the lion roars because he says the roar he's roaring in the midst now when does the lion roar well certainly not before he catches his prey because if the lion was to come out of his den roaring He'd have nothing to eat that night. He's like the dog that you'll give a bone to and some child will go up to him. He roar when he has the foot on the prey in case he lose it. You know, Habakkuk talks about the evening wolves that were hungry in the evening. Lions in a den all day is hungry come night. And when the lion gets his prey and gets his foot on the prey, don't you go and try and release it on your own strength or he'll devour you. Let that sink in. My friend, if we are going to go into the devil's domain and rescue our sons and rescue our daughters and rescue the church, if we are going to take them for God and take them back from the hands of the evil and the devil and the wickedness and all this woke and all the rest. And listen, talking about the school, I hear somebody criticizing the school. You shut up or get out. Because the devil will roar like he never roared before when we start with these children. Because he always roars against the children. You know that, of course, with abortion and many other things. 
He's roaring. He'll roar, my friend, when you come to the prayer meeting and you cry and call to God for your sons and your daughters. He doesn't want to release them. From the conception of the church, the enemies from without never did her any harm. In fact, they blessed her. The blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. When we came here in 1988, there was a generation in the Red Ford and they gave us no peace. Young men, young boys and girls. The hammered stones of the roof of the portable hall when the meetings were going on. They followed on when they came down here, the hammered stones. And remember, it was the time of the troubles and there was bombs going off everywhere. And the life was scared out, of, scared out of some of the women and the children. They hammered stones on the top of that roof and they broke the windows. At night when we were in, we had to get shutters, steel shutters put up on the windows. But they never done us any harm. They never affected the work. But when it came within, it did. And I tell you, it did big time. Look at what it says here as it close in verse 4. Thine enemies roar in the midst, the devil is in the midst, and the powers of darkness are in the midst, and they've flattened the church, and they've burnt it up with fire, and they've cut the timber down. I'll tell you in a moment what they've done as it close. Thine enemies roar in the midst of the country. They set up their ensigns. I'm two words of the same. Ensigns and sign. They set up their ensigns for our signs. That's verse 9 again. We see not our signs. Now listen to what I'm going to say to you this morning. Do you know what this word sign means? This word sign means a beacon. It means a light. A beacon, a light that shines in darkness, a lighthouse, a torch. In olden days, they lit fires on the mountain to warn the ships of the rocks. Let me say this to you. The first thing that God created was light. This is what the devil's after now. The first thing he created was light, and the whole trinity was involved in the creation. It says the earth was without form or void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit moved and said, let there be light. The only thing that could dispel the darkness was light. And the only thing that can dispel the darkness, doomed, dark, damned, souls of men and women, is the light of the glorious gospel. The marvelous gospel. That's the only hope, my friend, there is, is the light of the glorious gospel preached in all its power and it's gone from the church here. The only thing that will turn men and women from the power of Satan unto God and translate them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son is the message of the gospel light of Jesus Christ. And, and the enemy knows it. For the God of this world hath blinded the minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel shine in. The first thing the adversary will do, and always did, and done here is, he'll go for the cross. He'll go for the gospel. He'll pull down the signs. 
the old-fashioned signs and flags that we have up that stand for truth, repentance, justification. He says there's no sign of our signs. Our signs are gone. And he has put up his own signs. And next week we'll be looking at what those signs are. They've left the house of God. The ark is gone. Everything's gone, he says. There's nothing there. The very prophet's gone. The ark is gone. The labor's gone. The candlesticks are gone. The altar's gone. The veil's gone. The mercy seat's gone. They've burnt them up with fire. Threefold enemy hasn't been in and they've attacked from the inside. Oh God, hurry and come back. Oh God, lift up your feet and run toward us if you don't. We perish. A woman rang me last night. She hasn't been in the meetings. She doesn't come here anyway. Jesus, I want to encourage you from Psalm 74. She says, I don't like the first part of it, but I love the last part of it. And thank God, it was the last part of it. Thank God he did come back. Thank God he did move. Thank God he will move. But we have got to be honest. That's what we said in these prayer meetings. Please don't call out any hymns tonight at the minute. Don't pray something for the sake of praying. Just ask the Lord to search your heart. And that continued on down through the week. And the last night of it was a blessed night. I can say no more. I can do no more. All I have done is lay before you the message that the Lord has given me and yet we have to see here what the enemy has done and what the enemy's signs are and why God has hidden his hand and the very prophets and preachers are all gone he says but no matter how dark the hour is God is on the throne Let us pray. I'm not going to sing anymore. I'm going to ask those who are going to leave, please do not talk unless it's imperative until you go out into the car park. Then switch the alarm off if you want. And when it starts going some night at three o'clock in the morning, lie on in bed. But the smoke also says rising from the flock. Oh God, our Father, this morning,
when we think of your mighty power, when we think of your great love and mercy, when we think of the mighty redemption and deliverance and keeping of your people, and when we think of Calvary this morning, that you have redeemed us with your precious blood and stripped naked and died for our sins there on the cross, God help us. This I have done for you. What have you done for me? I pray, Lord, this morning that this solemnity will linger into the table. And right through the day, and drive us to our knees like Asaph to say, Lord, Lord, come back. Come back. Amen.